School might be out for the summer, but let's study up on what it means to be a follower of Jesus in our series, Christianity 101, from the book of 1 John. So this morning, I'm going to bring one final message from the book of 1 John. We've been going through the book of 1 John, and our series of messages has been entitled Christianity 101. Christianity 101, going back to the basics. John, the Apostle John, brings us back to the basics of the faith and the life of a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus. And this morning, our message is entitled Final Things, Final Things, and we're looking at 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Um, And uh, last week, and I'll just read them. They won't be up here on the screen. But last week, we ended with these words, beginning at verse 13, where John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. How many of us believe in the name of the Son of God? Amen. So that you may know that you have eternal life. And we spoke about that last week. And that this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And we spoke about that a couple weeks ago. Again, just the confidence we have in coming to God in prayer. And we pick up this morning at verse 16. Where John writes, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God, speaking of Jesus, keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, that is God the Father, who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear friends, keep yourselves from idols. May God bless his word to us this morning. Many of us know the difficulty there can be in ending, ending a letter, ending an essay, concluding a speech, concluding a sermon. How does one conclude? You've heard preachers over and over again. They say, and in conclusion, and in conclusion, and they say it like 10 times, and just one more thing, and it goes on and on and on. Please stop, conclude already. We get to the conclusion and we want to wrap things up, maybe give a bit of a summary and leave behind some memorable thought. And often what's said last is the most important part of the letter, the sermon, the speech, because it is what people will remember. And sometimes it can feel like there's just so much to say and it can be so hard. I know that from putting together sermons. Like, it's really hard. Like, okay, God, how do I wrap this thing up so that we're not here until like 6 o'clock in the evening? You know, as John brings his letter to a close, that's exactly what he was facing and what he does. He, he summarizes all that he's written about through his letter, and he gives a final thought for his readers to take away. One final instruction, a final command that flows out of everything he's written about. And it seems like, I mean, if, if, if you read this, it, it can almost seem so disjointed. Like, John has so much more he wants to say, but he knows he's got to conclude. 
He knows he has to end his letter. Now again, the context, for those of you who've been with us, I know I'm repeating myself. For those who are newer, you know, I just want us to understand that John is writing to second and third generation Christians. That is, these were people who had not encountered Jesus of Nazareth personally. That is, in a physical way. But they were people who had come to faith through the testimony of others. People, p- people who, who, who were further and further removed from not only Jesus himself and his ministry here on this earth, but even from the original apostles, further removed from a firsthand experience with Jesus. And as we've seen, John has attempted, he's, he's attempted to remind his readers of the reality of, of Jesus Christ. Yes, you weren't there when he was up on the hillside. You weren't there when he was out in the boat. You weren't there at the cross or at the tomb. But I want you to know that Jesus is very, very real. And that the gospel, the gospel message that you've received is very, very true. That Jesus came to this earth, sent from heaven above the pre-existent Son of God. He came to this earth in the flesh as a man. He lived in the flesh. He died in the flesh. And he rose again in the flesh. And we've seen it. We've touched him. We've heard. We, We were there. And this gospel message that says to us that if you'll put your faith in Jesus and give yourself to following him, you will be saved. You'll have eternal life. You'll have the hope of living forever with God. And the Holy Spirit will come into your life and change you from the inside out. You'll be born again. And so John has sought to lay out for his readers the basics of the Christian faith and of the Christian lifestyle. And why? Because as we've seen, in John's day and through the church, they were beginning to see the rise of false teaching. For there had arisen those who had begun to question the gospel message as presented by the apostles. They began to question the reality of the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God come in the flesh. And there were those who who were saying, oh, well, he was really just a spirit. And when he died, it was really just just a spirit that was on the cross. It was just an image. It was just an image that came from, from, from the grave. And there's all these super spiritual things that are happening. And you can have some new knowledge and new experience, some supernatural thing happen These were people who, for the most part, had once been associated with the church, but who had subsequently left the church for this new form of teaching. And they were trying to lure believers away with the promise of a new and greater knowledge, greater knowledge than the gospel. And all kinds of spiritual experiences. But John has called these teachers antichrists. And he's warned the believers against these men and these teachings. And much of, much of his letter is based in that context, and that's true of his final words. And I'm just reminded this morning, church, that we here today, we as followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, we are even further removed from Jesus' ministry here on this earth and from the original apostles who had first seen him, who were first there, who first heard him. And so how much more we need to heed John's words to us the whole of his letter, and especially his final words here. Because we know that there are all kinds of teaching, there are all kinds of philosophies around us that seek to lure us away from the basics of the gospel message and the life to take us away from the life that Jesus has called us 
to live. There's all kinds of things that are seeking to draw us away from the reality of Jesus. And so I want us to look this morning at John's final words in his letter here, his final thoughts that he leaves with us. And the first thing, verses 16 and 17, he says, in in essence, that we are to pray for one another, especially for those who are falling into sin. We are to pray for one another, especially those who are falling into sin. And these, these words, let me say, we don't have enough time this morning to dive deep enough and unpack it all, right? But in order to understand them, at least to some degree, we need to keep them in their context, that is, regarding false teaching that was creeping into the church. And John says, listen, there's certain people you shouldn't pray for. Like, it's, it's just of no, it's of no use, it's of no avail. He says, don't pray for those whose sin is that sin that leads to death. And John doesn't explain what he's talking about. Most likely, he's referring, though, in in the context of his letter, he's referring to those who are in outright rebellion against Jesus Christ and the gospel message, and they're the ones who are coming up with, 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 with all this false teaching and false doctrine. Those that he said have within them the spirit of Antichrist. They've given themselves over to apostasy. They've given themselves over to this antichrist spirit. And John seems to be saying, listen, those false teachers will need to be dealt with separately by God. Your prayers alone cannot rescue them. For what they need to do is they need to, first of all, repent of their sin, for they are in outright rebellion against God. They've been taken over by this spirit of antichrist, and they need to plead the mercy of God. Listen, that's tough stuff, isn't it? That's tough stuff for us to digest and get into our head. And I'm like, John, how can you say there's some people we shouldn't pray for? But he knows that there's some people and some things that just need to be put into God's hands. Right? But on the other hand, he said, we should pray for our fellow believers, especially when we see them falling into some into sin of some sort. We don't abandon them, but we keep watch over them. We love them. We express that love. And, 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 and especially, again, in the context, I think he's talking about those who are somehow, they're starting to be attracted to these false teachings. And, you know, there may be times when it's appropriate for, for, for us to come along someone, a brother and sister in Christ, and we come alongside of them. And we say, listen, I kind of see you going astray. I see something happening in your life. We just don't like, oh, just, well, you know, that's their problem. We come alongside of them. And most importantly, John says, and we begin to pray. We begin to pray for the life of God to fill them, for for the reality of Jesus to take over them. We begin to pray for God's protection over them and for them to be restored. And so John says to us, "Listen, listen, as I conclude write my letter, I just want you to know this. You need to make sure... Pray for those who are falling away. Pray for those who are falling into sin. Pray for them. Don't just abandon them, but love them and pray for them. And then in verses 18 through 20, he highlights three things that we know. And basically what he's doing, he's reviewing and he's summarizing some of his main themes through the letter. And he he reminds us of three things that we know. First of all, verse 18, he says, and listen, we know everyone born of God does not continue to sin. 
Everyone born of God does not continue to sin. That is, they don't continue in a lifestyle of sin. He's not saying like, oh, we don't trip up now and then. We don't mess up now and then. For earlier, he said, listen, if you sin, you know, just go back to God. Right? Be honest about it. Confess your sin. And he'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. You know, throughout his letter, John has used the phrase, born of God born of God. 1 John 5, 1, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Do you want to be born of God? Right? I mean, John tells you how that can happen. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. It's, it's, it's a word picture that's used to describe the new life that one experiences when they come to faith in Jesus as the Son of God and Savior of the world. The new life that comes through faith in the gospel message. Hey, I got to pause right now. For those of you who are online, those of you here in the sanctuary, have you yet experienced what it means to be born of God? Have you yet experienced what it means to have Jesus step into your life by his Holy Spirit and give to you this new life? And notice that John, once again, highlights the outcome of this new life. He says, those who are born of God, he who is born of God, does not continue to sin. That is, he reminds us, again, that those who receive new life go on to live a new life. They go on to live a new life. You see, there's evidence of being born of God. You want to know, like, okay, have I been born of God? You know, and so forth. You know, and, and, and so John says, well, look at the evidence of your life. Because when you're born of God, right, we, right, we used to use the old word, right, conversion. We were converted. Everything changed in our lives. Verse, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, right, John wrote, You know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. And 1 John 4, 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Bottom line is, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you've, you've sincerely and truly given your life through faith in him to follow him, then you are born again. You've been born of God. That means you've received new life, and then you go on to live a new life, a life of obedience to God, a life of righteousness, a life of love. Those who are born of God, John says, they cannot, they do not continue in their old patterns, their old lifestyles. There are some things they're going to get rid of. There's going to be other things they, 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 they take on. The Apostle Paul likens it to taking off the old clothes and putting on the new clothes. Right, let me ask you, have you put on the new clothes yet? Right, God has made them all, made it all available to us through Jesus. And I'll just say this, like, if your life has not changed at all, this, this would be what John would say. If you're yet continuing in sinful patterns and lifestyles and even outright rebellion against God's word, right, then John would question whether or not you've been truly born of God. And I'm afraid there's a, a lot of people to say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been born again. And yet there's been no change in their life. They're living just like everyone else. The way they think and what they pursue and their attitudes and their, their, their lack of love and so forth. John reminds us, those who are born of God do not continue to live in sin. And he goes on to say in verse 19, a second thing we know. And we know if we've been born of God that we are children of God. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Right? That those who are born of God are children of God. And it only makes sense, doesn't it? And John's already pointed out earlier in his letter that this is our primary identity as followers of Jesus. 
children of God. For he writes in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us. He's dumped upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Amen? And that is what we are. But, he, but uh, John, again, he lays out this contrast for us that, listen, when you look around the world, when you look at the people that you're walking past in the supermarket, on the boardwalk, whatever, there's two kinds of people. There's the children of the world and there's the children of God. And John has already described this, dico- this dichotomy that we find many times. There are those who belong to God, and there are those who belong to the world. There are the children of God. There are the children of the world. There's no one between. One either belongs to God through faith in Jesus or not. Listen, we are all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. Right? The world wants to say, oh, we're all God's children. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. I know somebody out there might get mad at me, you know, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Not only that, but John has made it clear as, as he, as he does here again, that the world, that is the systems of our world, the desires and lusts of our world, the basically, the basic philosophies of our world, it's societies and cultures, it's all, the world is under the control of the evil one, the one that Jesus calls the prince of this world, Satan. And that's why we experience the world as we do. That's why we have all around us a world that's filled with evil and hate and racism and conflict. And no matter how educated we get, no matter matter how much we try to do better and we pass laws and so forth. Listen, we know that our world is still filled with all these terrible things. Why? Because the prince of this world, Satan, is still calling a lot of the shots. And the fact is that most people are living their lives as his subjects, as subjects of the kingdoms of this world. For they've not yet experienced the new birth that's found through faith in Jesus. They've not yet experienced a new way of living. So whether they know it or not, or want it or not, they live their lives according to the ways of this world. And so, listen, church, don't be surprised if sinners sin. Don't be surprised if people of the world live like people of the world. Sometimes we want to argue them into right living and so forth and and debate with them. But listen, 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 people of the world will live according to the standards and the mandates of the world. But the people of God, the children of God, live as his children. Listen, Jesus said, you are in the world. Speaking to us, you are in the world, but you're not of it. You're different. Why? Because now you're children of God. So John reminds us that, that The new birth has brought us into a new relationship with God. So now we get to cry out, Abba, Father, we're his children. We're his children. We have a new identity. And he goes on to say one third thing that we know. We know that Jesus has brought to us a new understanding of God. That is our faith in Jesus and who Jesus is, what he's accomplished for us through his life, through his death, his resurrection, has brought us into a new relationship with God. And through this relationship with him as our father, we begin to understand God and know God in a whole new way. That he's not just a God up there who's manipulating our lives and has a big club in his hand that if we do one thing wrong, bing, bang, boom, you know, and you're gone. You know, some of us grew up thinking of God that way, right? He's not some distant God who created this world and then went to sleep and just let things go on their own. 
But because we've been made children of God, then we come into this intimate relationship with God. You know, it's, I mean, it's like any child growing up in a home with their parents. I mean, who knows their parents better? You know, who knows Kim and, 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 and me better than our kids do? They see us at our top and they see us at our bottom. You know, this intimate relationship that we have. Listen, the false teachers, they promise all kinds of new revelation and new knowledge of God. But John reminds the church that we already know God through our faith in Jesus Christ and the gospel message. That as children of God, we've been brought into this relationship with God as our heavenly father. And through that relationship, we get to know him. We get to understand him. We get to come into a place of intimacy with him that we could have never been in before. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. Oh, let me ask you this morning. Do you want to know God? If so, then give your life to Jesus and get to know Jesus and you'll get to know God. And so John has summarized and reviewed for us his main points. He reminds us of what we know as followers of Jesus. And then he goes on to give one final word of instruction to his dear children, as he calls them. I just love that. I'd like to come to the pulpit someday and just say, and dear children, let me bring today's message to you. Dear children, verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now this is the conclusion of conclusions. And to us, to me at least, John's final word of instruction comes across almost as not fitting to the rest of the letter. After all, nowhere else in his letter does he mention idol worship. And his words come across as so abrupt and, so, and, and, and there's like no niceties at the end of his letter like he does at the end of his other epistles. There's no final greeting like, oh, the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with him or greet the household of so-and-so and goodbye, I hope to see you again soon. Love, John, you know? He doesn't do that. He just says, dear friends, keep yourselves from idols. Now, that being the case, I have to believe that these words are pretty important to John, that they were pretty important to John and to what he wanted to leave with his readers. And the thought seems to be this, if we put it all together, that, listen, because you've been born of God, and because you're now children of God, and now you have this knowledge of God and this intimate relationship with God, you need to keep yourself from idols. That is, you must not have any other gods before him. You need to keep him as the priority of your life. I mean, you remember the first two commandments of, of the ten. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth, on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And the word that John uses here for idols can speak of any kind of false god. You shall not have any kind of false god. Not just, it's not just referring to just a little statue. But you see, idols, idols are gods that are based on our material world. 
worshiping what we can see, feel, experience with our five senses and what we can fashion with our hands. Idols are gods created to meet our own lusts and desires. Idols are gods that answer to us and give us what we want. They fulfill our desires. They meet our needs. Idols are gods that are based on our own way of thinking, for they fit into our understanding. They fit into our own little box that we can create, and they're limited to our own way of thinking. Idolatry, you see, is the worship of something, of anything other than the true God. Idolatry is giving ourselves and our worship to the material things of this world, to the things that we create with our hands and to the lusts and desires of our flesh, and even to our own philosophies and theologies and ideologies. To be an idol worshiper doesn't mean you necessarily bow before a little statue in your home or in a, in a temple. But listen, if your career is more important to you than is your relationship with God, you have an idol in your life. If your car or your house or your bank account consumes your life rather than does your relationship with God, you have an idol. If you are living your life for pleasure and personal fulfillment rather than for the person of Jesus Christ and his desires for your life, then you are in idolatry to yourself. You've become your own God. If any relationship within your life is more important than is your relationship with God, then you have an idol in your life. If your politics, if your politics has become the primary focus of your life, that you are more interested in who gets elected or in political position or in political opinions than you are in your relationship with God and building his kingdom, then you have an idol in your life. And if you've put your faith in any other message other than the gospel message, you are serving an idol. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and mammon. That is the things of this world. You have to choose one or the other because you can only have one God in your life. And anything and everything that keeps you from worshiping the true God of heaven and earth becomes in our lives an idol. And so John says, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because we all, as human beings, we all have a propensity towards idols. John knows that our tendency as human beings, even the most spiritual of us, is towards idolatry. That it's human nature to want gods who meet our needs, gods that we can control, gods, gods that, that are tangible to us, that we can grasp with our hands and see with our eyes. We gravitate towards idols. We, wanna, we want a god that's made in our own image. And so we need to be proactive. Keep yourselves. We need to say to ourselves, I think John would say, listen, you need to say to yourself over and over again, I will not allow idols within my life. I will not allow anything to take God's place within my life. I will do all that I need to do in order to keep idols out of my life and keep God as the highest priority, to keep Jesus as the highest priority of my life. And all of this is based on the fact that we know that through Jesus and our faith in him, we've been born of God. We've been made children of God. We now know God. And, the, and, and so, church, let me just ask you, why would we want to worship anything or anyone other than the God from whom we have received new life? Why would we want to worship anything or or? Or, or anyone other than the one who has brought us into an incredible relationship with God as our Heavenly Father. And when we've come to know Him as a God who's loved us so much that He would give His one and only Son for us, 
Why would we give our worship and devotion, our love and our sacrifice, our hearts to an idol when we already know the true God of heaven and earth? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. John says, no idols. Keep yourself from idols. And so this morning, as we conclude this series of messages on John's first letter to the church, that which we've called Christianity 101, John is calling us to make one final commitment, a commitment to keep our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ as a priority of our, of our lives. He's assuming that we who are reading this letter, we've already taken a step of faith to give ourselves by faith to God, by faith in Jesus Christ. But now he's saying, listen, and you make sure you keep that relationship the priority of your life. And so today we, we need to make a commitment, I, I think, that says, listen, I will hold on to the true gospel message, and I will continue to follow Jesus and I will get rid of any idols, anything in my life that would hinder my walk with him. For I will worship and serve Jesus alone. Listen, church, all we need is Jesus. Come on. All we need is Jesus. There's people out there that are peddling all kinds of stuff. But all we need is Jesus. For all that we've experienced from God has come through Him, being born again, saved from our sin, coming into relationship with God as our Heavenly Father, the hope of eternal life, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It all comes to us by putting our faith in the reality of Jesus as passed down to us by the apostles. All we need is Jesus. And I close, and I promise you I close, <laughs> by going back to the beginning of John's epistle, these words. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you, the word of life. For the life that is Jesus, the life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and what we've heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Come on, can someone say amen this morning? Let's hold on to the reality of Jesus. Let's hold on to the reality of Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me?